excited to go ahead and uh, I'm actually going to conclude this really short two-week series called Trust the Process. And uh, last week was a really tough message for me to deliver because it was very personal about where God has me in my journey and uh, what's God doing in my life. And uh, nothing's changed since last week. Uh, I still don't know what he's doing in my life, but I'm trusting him. And uh, as part of that trusting, I'm digging into his word. Uh, many of you have joined us on our Bible app reading plan. Uh, we've got two days left after today to do that. It's been really, really cool to see you guys interact with us uh, through that Bible app. Uh, you, you read a devotion, you read some scripture, and then there's a spot for interaction and comments and prayer requests. And that's been really, really fun uh, to see your responses and see what God's doing in your life. And if you missed it, you can hop on now. No one, like, it's never a bad time to jump in and start doing a Bible reading, right? Uh, that's, that's part of the deal. So it's been really fun to trust, trust the process and be on this journey of prayer and fasting uh, together. Uh, Jody and I have done sugar, and we are counting down the days till Thursday uh, because we're going on vacation, and then we get sugar again. And that's probably not good for me, but I'm excited for it. Uh, and I've noticed, right? Like, it's amazing how many things have sugar in them, but then on top of it, how hungry I am all the time because I'm not eating all these filler things. And I wish I could say I've lost weight, but I, I probably haven't because I just eat all the time now because I'm hungry. Uh, but the fasting journey has been really good. It's not been without difficulty, and uh, it, it's been tough. And I know that uh, I've had some opposition to what God's wanting to speak to me, but I'm trusting the process. So last week, if you weren't here, I just want to recap for a minute. We talked about a man named Joseph, who's a pretty big deal in the Bible, and he dreamed dreams, right? He was Joseph the dreamer. Uh, he had a coat of many colors, and I won't rehash his whole story, but... Uh, God gave him a destination, what God was going to do in his life, and it took years and years and almost his whole lifetime to see that come to fruition, to see what God would do. And we saw some things in Joseph's life that we could apply to ours when it comes to trusting the process. And just to recap those really quick, was this is that God will give us a vision, but it will rarely occur the way we think it will. It's often way different. Uh, there will be people who tell us it won't happen or be naysayers in our life. There will be obstacles that happen because life happens, right? Uh, no matter what we do, life happens. And then the, the fourth and final thing we see in Joseph's life was this, is that uh, it will always occur the way God envisions it to occur. Not the way we do, but the way he does. God is the giver of dreams and he's the one who knows how they're going to work out. All right? So that was last week. So this week I really wanted to jump into... Uh, the practicality behind trusting the process. Because it's one thing to say, guys, just trust the process. It's another to be like, well, how, how do you do that? What does that actually mean? How do we put uh, flesh on those bones, right? Like, how do we how do, we do all of that? So uh, how do we do that? Well, there's another Bible story uh, that, that gives us some insight in that. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, the life of a man named David today. And we're going we're gonna to pull some things out of David's life. Uh, that lay things out very practically for us. So how many of you are familiar with David? David and Goliath, right? One of the greatest Bible stories of all time, right? Little, little boy throwing rocks at a giant and, and God overcomes a giant. It's this incredible picture. Uh, but David's life was actually very convoluted and it took a long time for God to do what he was going to do during that time. And again, it's chapters and chapters and chapters in the Bible and I'm not gonna sit up here and read through all of these things, but I want to go through David's life and give you an idea of what God was doing because David also had to trust the process in his life. 
Because in 1 Samuel chapter 16, David was anointed to be the next king of Israel at a very young age. He was the forgotten son of a, of a family with many sons. Uh, he was out tending the sheep while the prophet was there looking for the next king. They had to call him in if you read scripture. They're like, oh, is there anybody else? Because this isn't the one that God's chosen. They're like, oh yeah, there's David out in the field, but he's nobody. Like, I mean, that's, that's what was going on in his life. But in 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, Samuel anoints David to be the next king of Israel. Well, there's a problem with that. He was a boy and there was already a king of Israel. Right? So David's another person we can see in the Bible that knows a plan that God set before him. Uh, but doesn't get to see that happen for a very long time. First, uh, first Samuel 16 is anointed king. Uh, later in that chapter, we see that David's recruited into the current king's service to play music and sing. Uh, it's a really intriguing, sort, intriguing story about how God interweaves all of this, right? So this little boy who, who plays the harp and sings good songs ends up in the court of Saul, the current king, and is helping comfort him when he has bad dreams and, and is tormented and all of this weird, really strange stuff. And then in First uh, uh, Samuel chapter 17, we see the story of David and Goliath. It's one we've, you know, if you've grown up in church or even, even not, like you hear it all the time, sports analogies, right? Oh, it's a regular David versus Goliath, this battle, or, you know, David slayed Goliath when the big team win or loses or, you know, all of those different things. Uh, so David wins favor with, with the people of Israel at a young age by slaying the giant, which like you've probably heard messages on David and Goliath. I could preach a message on David and Goliath, uh, but that's not where I think God is taking us today. So I'm just going to keep kind of, you know, weaving through David's life, uh, in the chapters of 1 Samuel 18 through 23, we see David uh, end up in Saul's bad graces uh, because Saul figures out that David's going to be the next king and he's not particularly happy with that. He throws spears at David, which is just an interesting picture, isn't it? Like not just verbal spears, like we get that like yelling and screaming, but like literal spears and tries to kill the guy. And David ends up having to flee out into the desert. David's out in the desert. He's got his men with him. He's won many battles at this point, And uh, he's out there and Saul's chasing him around the desert, which again, another sermon for another day. Like the life of David's just packed with things that we can see that God does. Uh, but David's out in the desert. And twice, David has an opportunity to end Saul's life and to take the throne from Saul. And it's this incredible story about how David wrestled with the fact that Saul was called to be king at the time, but he knew he was called. It was that yes, but not yet thing. And it was just this really tense moment. And there's a scene where he cuts the bottom of Saul's robe off, and then he feels super guilty about it. And like, it's just crazy. You have to start reading this to see what happens. Uh, eventually, in 1 Samuel chapter 28, David has to flee and live with the Philistines, which sounds like, oh, yeah, it's the Philistines. But if you, if you know history, that was Israel's worst enemy. That was David's worst enemy, and he had to go live with them because Saul was trying to kill him so bad. Eventually, Saul falls in battle, and in 2 Samuel chapter 5, uh, David is finally the king of Israel, and it's happened. So he's went from a young boy to a now a battle-hardened war vet uh, in charge of the armies of Israel, and he's finally king. And we think the story ends there, and it's all happy-go-lucky from there, but David's story doesn't end there. It actually, in many ways, just begins there. And uh, David has a moral failure with Bathsheba when he's supposed to be off at war and he, he uh, commits adultery with her and he sends her husband off to be killed. And it's this really like crazy scene. And you're like, man, you're, you're the guy who has everything, right? Like uh, the prophet comes and tells him that. And David's like, no, justice. And the prophet's like, it was you. And he's, ah, it's like, it's this really cool story. Like you have to read it or watch the Veggie Tales on it. All right, King George and the Ducky. And uh, it's about his rubber duck. I see some nods. I love it, right? King George, I love my duck. Anyway, uh, just check out VeggieTales sometime. 
Uh, so he finally recovers from that, and there's a scene he loses a child because of it. And then in 2 Samuel 13, we start to see this really crazy picture about his own son, Absalom, who, who uh, incites a rebellion against him and is successful, actually, and chases David out of uh, the kingdom. And David's again back in the desert living in fear of his own son. And you're like, what? Right? Like, like we see this in fantasy books and we see it in medieval dramas and different things. But this, is, this really happened. And David was finally king like God promised him. And then there was all of this difficulty and, and trauma that happened. And it was this crazy story. And, and Absalom is, and for years, planning this rebellion. And finally it happens. And, uh, and he's successful. And David's living out in the desert. And he's desperate. And one of his generals finally ends up killing his son. And David mourns over his son and is king again in Israel. And reigns peacefully for many years. And it's, David's story is just a wild ride. It's a wild ride from child to giant killer to in the king's court to being chased out by the king to having opportunities to end it because if we were all in that same position, we probably would have ended it. Like if, if that man is standing between me and the kingdom that God promised me and I have this opportunity as my mortal enemy, I'll take it. But David didn't. And finally sees the dream come true and then all of this chaos happens. He fails. His son usurps him. Uh, later he counts as mighty men, which was something God that told him not to do. And he, he doesn't get to build God a temple. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But David's story is ups and downs and is trusting the process. And we see throughout David's life him continually calling on God through all of this. Even in his, even in his failures. Even in his uh, hard breaks. Even when life treated him poorly. Uh, we see David just rise up to the challenge. And there's a few things I think, and, and I read through David's story, and I'm not going to read all of it, like I said, but there's a few things I think that we can see what, that apply to our lives about trusting the process and uh, uh, moving through what God has set before us. And uh, it's pretty simple, and I'm going to read a psalm to you that David wrote, and we're, we're going to go from there. But the first thing I think we see in David's life is this, is that we should trust the dream giver, not the dream. We should trust the dream giver, but not the dream. Because what happens in our life more often than not is we, we, we have a goal or maybe you're driven uh, in your career or you have the perfect ideal of a family or you've got that house that you want and that can become all-consuming in our lives. Even in ministry, it's very easy to say, well, I'm going to be, for me, I'm going to be a youth pastor and that's, that's what I'm working towards and that's what, that's what really matters. Uh, uh, or in ministry, sometimes it's I want to pastor a really big church and that's what you're driven towards. But the problem with that is we lose focus on what's actually important. And the number one most important thing in our lives should be our relationship with God. Whether that's in, in, in ministry or vocational or at, in home life, we lose focus on those things. And we focus on the wrong things. Uh, many times you see uh, athletes and uh, professional musicians and, and people, they're so driven by their, uh, their dream whatever that dream is, to play basketball, to be in the musical, to do, to do that thing, that when they achieve that dream, they're completely clueless after that. Have you ever noticed that before? You see it actually happen in professional athletes all the time. They, they achieve that dream and then they just kind of wander because they don't know what's next. They don't have a clue because they've focused so long on the dream, they've kind of lost the big picture. Now, people I can think of just, just off the cuff, uh, that struggle with that. I mean, Michael Jordan was super competitive. He talks about it all the time in interviews still today. And when basketball was taken out of the picture, he struggled. Tiger Woods, ultra competitor. When he was injured and had family problems and he lost his focus, he didn't know what to do. 
You see it time and time again in our lives, and we can even see that happen in us. We can be so consumed by the dream, even that God gave us, that we lose focus on the most important thing, and that's the dream giver. Uh, People let us down. We let ourselves down. And we think achieving certain things will make us feel complete and satisfied. And for a moment, they do. And then after that moment's passed, we don't know what's next. It's because we've misplaced our hope and trust. And our hope and trust need to come from God. We can only find that in God. David actually knew this. Even for all of his ups and downs, he knew this. And I want to read you a psalm uh, that David wrote when he was in the desert. It's Psalm 63. And we're going to read the whole thing. And I, I just want to remind you of what the picture is when, when we read this because uh, it's, it's very poetic. I mean, David was a poet. He was a songwriter. He, he understood that. But when you understand his circumstances, the picture makes a lot more sense. So this psalm was written uh, one of the two times that David was out wandering in the desert. We don't know if it's when his son was chasing him or if it was when Saul was chasing him, but it was one of the two times he was out wandering in the desert. He was hiding. He was living in caves. He was living day by day, uh, kind of in fear, hoping that nobody would, uh, nothing bad would happen. And uh, we, we pick up the story there, and I just need to turn to it here real quick. But Psalm 63, it'll be on the screen behind me. And it's a shorter psalm, so we're going to read it in its entirety as soon as I can get there. Okay, never mind. We're just going to read it from the screen. All right. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. All right, we can read that at face value and understand the picture, but David's living in a desert right now, right? So that's very vivid imagery for him because he's, he's hungry and he's thirsty. He's living in a desert. And even in the middle of this desert, he's saying, I hunger and thirst for you. And he goes on to say this, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. In that line, he's saying, I've seen you at your best. I know what it's like at your best, and now I'm in the desert. Have you ever been in the desert? In a spiritual desert or an emotional desert and felt just completely completely and utterly alone and tired and hungry and thirsty, and you just don't know what God's doing? That's where David was at. All right, let's keep reading. He says this, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. In this section, we see that David is choosing to find satisfaction and purpose in God, even though he doesn't feel it in the desert. To me, this was a very powerful picture, and we'll, we'll read on and finish out the chapter here in just a second, but uh, understanding the context, right? He's running for his life. He's living in a desert. He's living day by day, and still the man chooses to glorify God. He's choosing to say, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty for you. I find belonging only in you. My lips will ever glorify you. It's vivid imagery, isn't it? When you know that he was in a desert and he's using the things around you, that's what the best poets do, right? Best songwriters, they use life experience to express their feelings. But here we see that it's important to him, that choosing to worship God is still of the utmost importance. So moving on to the next section. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. In that section, we really, really see David desperately holding on to God, right? 
we see him saying, I, I cling to you. That's powerful imagery, right? Like if you have kids or you've been around kids, what do they do when they're scared? They cling to you. Uh, I know we'll be watching, uh, I don't even know, sometimes I'm like, how are you scared of this? But with my son on the couch, and we'll be watching like a superhero show and the bad guy scares him or something, and he, he grabs me and buries his head in my shoulder, right? That's clinging. Uh, or, if, or if we're out here and I ask my kids to say hi to you, almost always they'll just turn and hide in me, right? They'll grab my leg and just turn around and be like, hmm. <laughs> but that's what kids do, right? And David's expressing that same sort of imagery when he's talking to God in this moment. I cling to you. I have nowhere else to turn. He goes on to say this. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. Uh, but the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glorify or glory in him, while the mouths of the liars will be silenced. In this last section, we see David triumphantly proclaiming God's victory. And in this short chapter, I think we see a microcosm of, of life, right? There will be times where we're thirsty and hungry, and we feel like we're in a desert place. But we can choose to worship God. We can remember the good things he's done. That section about remembering his power and glory is super powerful to us because sometimes when we, we don't feel him, we can remember what he has done and know that he will do. Does that make sense? We can remember those things. And then we can say, I, I cling to you, God, in this moment. I have nowhere else to turn. I can't do anything else. I cling to you. And then we can celebrate victory because we believe Christ has paid the victory already. So we can trust the process. And Psalm 63 gives us that microcosm. So trust the dream giver, not the dream. We must be dedicated and moving forward into, uh, into the dream, yes, and stepping out. But our trust must always lie in God. Not what's going on and where we're going, but who is giving us the vision. The second thing I see is this, is that slow-ish and steady wins the race. All right, I added the ish because there will be times in our lives where things move forward very, very quickly. But there will be other times it feels like it drags on and on and on. It's the power of incremental change over time. And I've talked about that numerous times over the last year because I just really think that's a foundational thing for us as people. Everything we do is incremental change. We can make sudden changes, but they're a lot harder to sustain. Uh, it's January, so weight loss, right? Big deal. Fitness. Uh, we don't set resolutions. We set goals. Uh, I've talked often of my times at the YMCA, and this month was the busiest time of the year. Because everybody went from zero to 100 miles an hour and thought they could lose 15 pounds in three days. Uh, it reminds me of that scene on Troll, in Trolls, if you've seen that movie. And the prince is going to, like, i got to lose 30 pounds in three hours. And he hops on the treadmill and is drinking his water and whatever. If you're not a parent, you've never seen the movie. But it's okay. Uh, it's all right. I've seen it many, many times. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but we think that fitness and become a master of a certain a trade or thing can happen overnight. It just doesn't. But it's about positive progress and incremental change over time. Uh, it takes hours and hours and hours to master a trade, right? You can't do that in one day. But you can dedicate a little of time every single day. And there will be times where you progress very, very quickly. When you're losing weight and different things, uh, a lot of times those first couple of weeks, you'll lose a significant amount of weight. You lose water weight. Your body's kind of shocked. Like, it's a really cool thing. And you're like, yes, winning, right? And then you Instagram and you're like, hashtag winning, hashtag weight loss. And, uh, you know, taking selfies at the gym, right? Like, I mean, we know, we know this is what happens, right? But after that initial success, what happens? Sometimes you gain a little bit of weight after that. 
Or you maintain or you lose one pound instead of 10 pounds. And then the real work begins, right? And then it's a little bit every day. It's, it's watching your calories. It's eating high protein. It's doing, you know, all those things, making sure you're active, getting your steps in. Uh, that's a weight loss analogy, but for the rest of our life, it's the same thing. Uh, growing up when I was learning how to play an instrument, I was terrible at first. Uh, I mean, many of you have kids, like when they get the recorders and stuff, are they really good with their recorders those first few days? No, they're probably not really good by the end either, but maybe they can at least <laughs> play a tune, right? But think about your work too. Were you really good at your job the first day you got there? No, you had to learn. You had to grow. It takes time. It's an investment. And the Christian walk is no different. Achieving the dreams God has set out before us is no different. In fact, it's even more so, I think. Because they take a lot longer than we think. And we think we can achieve them tomorrow. Because that's what we want, right? We want change now. (laughs) I do. I'd like to drop 10 pounds tomorrow. That'd be awesome. Uh, The only way you can do that is if you get the stomach flu. That's about the only way, right? But incremental change over time is so powerful. So it's slow-ish and steady wins the race. We must draw closer to God every day. That's how we get to know him better. Uh, When I was writing this out, I just remembered an old hymn. And maybe you've heard it, uh, Just a Closer Walk. And if I was in a little better voice, I'd sing a little bit for you. But I'll read the lyrics to you instead. All right? I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to thee. And then the refrain we, many of us have heard, just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. And this is the part that really drew me to this. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. I love that song. I've played that song. I've sang that song. Uh, and it's those last two lines that get me every time. Daily walking close to thee. Because that's what it's about every day. Because we try to make forward progress every day, but there will be days we, we go back a few steps, right? And there will be times we feel like it's one step forward, two steps back every day. But that's the slowish and steady part, right? Because then you'll have days it's three steps forward and no steps back in achieving that goal. And there will be times when you're uh, moving towards that goal that there'll be setbacks. You've got a dream and, and the, the cash flow just isn't there. You've got to figure it out. Uh, you get passed up for a promotion that you need to achieve the dream that you have. You know, you're in a car accident and your car's wrecked and your financial dreams are set back five years. Life happens. But incremental change over time. So slowish and steady wins the race. The third thing I can see in David's life is this, is to expect the unexpected. Just know crazy things are going to happen. <laughs> And know that we have no control over those things. They're just going to happen. There's no way you look at Joseph's life and say, Joseph knew that's exactly how it was going to come out. But there's also no way you look at David's life and you say, David knew exactly how that's going to play out. I can imagine he got to being king and was like, I have arrived. Right? When we've achieved a dream or a goal or something, we're like, yes, we did it. Uh, You know, it's January, so sticking with the fitness theme. Uh, There was a time I lost a significant amount of weight and I was below 200 pounds for the first time since like, freshman year of high school. And I was like, I did it. And then you know what happened like a year later? I was right back where I started. Uh, And there's there's a lot of layers to that, but uh, there's unexpected things that happen. All the things I just mentioned, passed up for promotion, car wrecks, things that happen in our lives. And the one thing that I can guarantee you is that the unexpected will happen. And we have to do our best to be prepared for it and understand it's a day-by-day thing, month-by-month. You grind it out. 
James 4, 13 through 14 says this. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow, because what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We make plans and then stuff happens. You've got your five-year plan because some of you are planners. Great. I can almost promise you it won't happen exactly the way you've, you've written it out. So we have to tell ourselves, like, the unexpected is going to happen. We have to be ready for it. The Bible talks of it. Jesus talks about, you know, who of you can promise tomorrow. Like, I mean, we see it time and time in Scripture, and we live day by day. We have to make plans, right? But we also have to be ready to adapt to those plans, uh, when we go on missions trips and we've taken trips to Nicaragua uh, and, in, and in here in the States, the number one thing I always tell people is like, just go with the flow. Just go with the flow because uh, there will be a plan and they will tell us a time and then we'll leave an hour and a half later than the time they tell us. Uh, that was Nicaragua. In the United States, we've done pretty good about leaving on time uh, at our different missions trips. But in Nicaragua, it never fails. They'll be, you know, get ready to leave by 8 o'clock. And at 8.59, we'll get on the bus because to them... It's still 8 o'clock until it's 9 o'clock. And uh, you, you laugh, but I'm 100% accurate. Uh, those of you who have been to foreign countries, you know time just works differently there. And, you know, Central America, it's often it's 8 o'clock until it's 9 o'clock. Uh, but other countries, it's just, you know, we say church starts at this time, but it'll start when everybody gets there. Uh, and you, you have to learn to adapt and just go with the flow. Expect the unexpected. There were times on our trips uh, that we had uh, places to go, and it downpoured for hours. And we ended up stuck in a church for, for a little while, watching the rain and uh, the road wash out from underneath our bus, which was just crazy, by the way. And it rained so hard, the entire road just kind of disappeared. Uh, and we had to wait it out. Uh, but we have to expect the unexpected. And that first year, I went to Nicaragua way back in the day with our students. I was so frustrated when things didn't go according to the plan that the missionary had laid out for us. Uh, I had to learn, too, to expect the unexpected and go with the flow. Uh, and that was on the missions field, but our lives is the same thing. Have a plan, but go with the flow. Expect the unexpected. The fourth thing I see in David's life is this, is that teamwork makes the dream work. Teamwork makes the dream work. And that's a little play on words, right? Like in motivational things, and maybe your bosses have always said, teamwork makes the dream work. Uh, I worked at a pizza ranch back in the day. That was my very first job job. And uh, my boss was amazing. I learned a lot of really good things from him. And he had a couple of sayings. Uh, the first one was, if you have time to lean, you have time to clean. And uh, I hated that saying because that's when he'd walk in the kitchen and bust us all for standing around and talking. And uh, we'd be like, yes, Roger. And we'd go and uh, pretend to clean something really, really well. The area that was already clean really, really well. Anyway, uh, but the other one, he'd always say teamwork makes the dream work. Uh, and I just augmented a little bit to say teamwork makes the dream work. Because it's important to know that the dreams God gave you are for you, but there are other people that will help you achieve those. As a church family, we owe it to each other to help each other achieve the dreams that God has laid out for us. Uh, my heart for this church is that we, we work as a team, as the body of Christ. And if you have a dream and there's something I can do to help you, I want to help you do that. Maybe I can't give to you financially, but I can be an encourager. Uh, maybe, maybe you can't help financially, but you could, you could give some advice because you have an expertise in the field that somebody's looking to get into. There are so many different ways that we can help each other out. And scripture makes it clear. Ecclesiastes uh, talks about how two are better than one. 
Hebrews 10, verses 24 through 25 say this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I love that word spur on, by the way, right? Because sometimes it means you have to poke somebody a little bit, all right? Uh, Spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, the day is the day of Christ that uh, the writer is referencing there. But you think of the picture of a spur, right? A spur is used in horseback riding, and I'm no expert, but I know a spur is used to poke a little bit to give a little direction when needed and a little bit of a mmm when the horse needs it, right? If you think about our lives, sometimes we need somebody to just give us a little poke and say, get going, get moving. Uh, My wife does that to me often. And sometimes it's a literal poke with her finger telling me to get out of the way and get moving. Hi, Jody, I love you. She's running pro presenter. Uh, but the reality is sometimes you need somebody to talk to you. Uh, I shared my story last, uh, last week about the journey that God's had me on. And there was a couple of years in high school that uh, I, I knew I was called to be a youth pastor, that God had been calling me to students. And I was trying to compromise with God about what that looked like. And I was going to be a band teacher. And this is not a knock at all against band or choir. I love band and choir. Uh, but that's not what God had planned for me. And I still to remember to this, <clears throat> to this day this conversation. And uh, we, we had a missionary come to our church. And my dad's the pastor. And when you're the pastor of a poor, small church, you know one thing. When dad brings in a missionary, you get to go out to eat. Uh, because you, the church always takes a missionary out to eat. And we always loved when dad to, uh, brought missionaries in because we got to go eat somewhere good. Uh, we, were, we were pretty poor, and so eating out was a, a novelty, and we never got to go places like we did when we took the missionary out because you want to treat missionaries right. So we did, and we were actually at the Pizza Ranch of all places. And uh, I love the Pizza Ranch, and the Pizza Ranch loved me a lot, and uh, I gained a lot of weight working there, but that's a different story. We were there with these missionaries, and uh, they were asking me, I was 17 or 18, and uh, either entering my senior year or in my senior year, and they're like, so what are you going to do? I said, oh, well, you know, I feel called to, to work with students, and I think I'm going to go, I'm going to go to this other school, and I'm going to uh, pursue a music major degree, but I'm also going to get a degree in ministry. And I still remember the look the lady gave me, the, the wife of the missionary, they were both missionaries, the wife, the woman missionary of the two, and she looks at me and says, well, why are you doing that? If you're called the students, you should go to this other school and get a degree in youth ministry. And I, ter- I remember to this day, that was like a slap in the face. Because I knew what I was called to do, and I knew what God had set out before me, and I was compromising with God and wanting to do my own thing and pursue the dream God gave me in my own way. And this person came and poked me and said, you're going the wrong way. And that radically changed the course of my life. I went to North Central instead of uh, going to, in, in Missouri is where I was going to go. And I got a degree in youth ministry. And I, I met my wife there. And we started working in a church. And as I, you know, I'm not going to recap all of last week, but that set us on the place to be here right now. And it was one conversation that spurred me in the right direction because I was veering from what God had. So we can be that to each other. Teamwork makes the dream work because sometimes we need correction. Sometimes we need encouragement. And sometimes we just need moral support. Keep doing the thing that God's laid out before you. So that's one of the things we see. And then the final thing I think we see in the life of David is this, is that we also need to leave a legacy of obedience. We need to leave a legacy of obedience. Uh, David accomplished many, many things. But I think his greatest accomplishment is when he's referred to in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. And he instilled that in many of his sons, not all of them. 
Uh, but many of his sons and Solomon picked up that mantle and ran with it. One of David's lifelong dreams was to build a temple for God. And God said, no, your son will. And Solomon took that mantle and ran with it. And it was out of obedience to God. And that was found in his dad. He learned that from his dad. As a parent, I want to leave a legacy for my kids. And it doesn't have to be a legacy of success, but it does need to be a legacy of obedience. When we set out to achieve dreams and visions and things that God's given us, uh, we won't always be met with success every turn of the way. We will have failures, and it's how we overcome those and how we're obedient. Uh, Psalm 112, 1 through 2 says this, Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commandments. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. I want to leave, first and foremost, a legacy of obedience to my kids. Not at just setting out and doing what God said, but being obedient to God, period. In every aspect of my life. At home, at work, out in the community. And I want to see God work through my children and through my family. Because sometimes, and this is the tricky part, sometimes God will give you a dream that you will never achieve. But your kids might. Or your spiritual kids might. And it's incredible how God works through generations. And you see it in scripture. Uh, But one of the best examples is uh, through a man named Jonathan Edwards. Anybody ever heard of Jonathan Edwards before? Oh, awesome. He's an intriguing uh, study. In the 1700s, he was a a pastor of a church. And he preached a message called Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. Uh, Have you heard that one before? If you haven't, it's, it's literally where the phrase fire and brimstone comes from. Uh, is, is from that message and from that person. And uh, he read a just scalding rebuke uh, to his congregation. And when I say read, like I preach to you, and most of it's up here. I've got some notes to guide me. Uh, the dude was almost blind, and they say that he read like this, and he just read in a monotone vo- voice, okay? So he had his notes like this, his Bible like this, and he just read. And the power of God was so strong, people were just convicted of their sins. And, and, and th- they say that they could feel hell's flames as he preached, and it wasn't just that one occurrence, but it was many occurrences. And it's just this crazy story. If you go read a character study on him, it's fascinating uh, what he did. But he was a man devoted to prayer, and his wife was with him. And they were uh, just super strong believers and totally obedient, uh, which the sub-message is in there. You don't have to be an eloquent speaker for God to move through your words, by the way. If you can read like this and people are just totally convicted, you're doing something right. And it's in your spiritual life. But that's a Another message, right? Uh, but here's, here's what I find intriguing about him. He's in the 1700s, and in the 1900s, somebody did a study on the lineage that descended from uh, Jonathan Edwards. So about 150 years after Jonathan Edwards uh, was a pastor. And looking at his lineage, they found this. In his lineage, they found one U.S. vice president, one dean of a law school, one dean of a medical school, three senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen, and 285 college graduates. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? And that was in 1900. I'd be really intrigued now to see how that study uh, proliferates over time. But that's the power of leaving a legacy, And Jonathan Edwards' legacy wasn't found in his preaching. It was found in his deep devotion and obedience to God. In his wife and his relationship with each other and with God that was passed on to his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. When you think of spiritual heritage, it's a really powerful thing. 
uh, I am uh, the product of some of that heritage. Uh, I'm excited for my kids to be a product of that heritage. My, my grandparents uh, were saved in tent revivals. Uh, if you even know what those are, but they were literally tents where they'd have services. My grandparents were saved there. My great-grandparents were saved there. And now uh, my grandpa is a traveling kids evangelist and has been for a long time. He left uh, a week after I was born uh, to travel and do kids ministry. My dad's a pastor. I have two uncles that are pastors. Uh, my other uncle's the worship leader. My other uncle's church. Uh, my dad's brother's a pastor. His wife's a pastor. And I'm, I'm, I'm descended from this great spiritual heritage. Uh, and I'm not going to rely on that. And that's not like tooting my own horn, but I, just the power of spiritual heritage. And we concern ourselves so much uh, with what's happening in the here and now, we forget about how that can echo through our lifetime and beyond. So to kind of lay that out, uh, I was looking for a tape measure and I couldn't find it, but I found a yardstick. Okay. Uh, and I saw this illustration, and I wish I could steal it, but uh, the average lifespan of a person's about 70-ish years, right, if we laid out. So there's 36 inches on here. So for every half inch, that represents a year, roughly, of a lifespan, all right? Does that make sense? You guys following so far? So every half inch is a, is a year. And here's what happens in our life, right? We grow up, and we get to nine. That's about 18. We become adults, Right? Uh, and in this season of, of teenager and young adulthood and, and all of those things, there will often be times where we have a, a, a six-month to a year span where things are really, really bad. Anybody lived that before? Maybe it's a little longer. Maybe it's a little shorter. Uh, but we get to, we'll say in our 20s or so, and we have a half a year or a year that's really bad, and we don't like that year. So I'm just going to cover it up, right? That half, half year, six months to a year, and we don't like it. Or wherever we're at. Maybe for me, I'm 33, so that would put me uh, somewhere here, right? I've got all of this life left to live. You guys following so far? Am I willing to sacrifice all of that God has left to do in my life because of this six-month short period in my life? Or maybe that bad time happened back here when you were a teenager and something bad happened to you. Or you made a poor choice and it affected the rest of your life. Are you willing to sacrifice all of this for that? And to live in defeat during that time? It gets even crazier if I had two yardsticks and this is my life and this is my kid's life, right? Am I going to allow, you know, six months here or there to dictate the rest of my life and my kid's life? Or am I going to allow it to pass on a legacy of obedience during the course of this life. We're not guaranteed 72 years, right? We're guaranteed the life God gives us. That's it. We should live every day in that way, but I want to leave a legacy of obedience regardless of dark moments. Maybe there's a few phases, right? And it doesn't matter because those dark moments happen. What matters is what do we do with what's remaining in our life, whether it be tomorrow or 50 years from now. And leaving a legacy is so powerful Will you let circumstance keep you from leaving a legacy? So today to conclude, I just want to uh, remind you that the story of David, the overarching story of David is so powerful in our lives because he lived it all. His son then 